So this morning I invite you to open your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been talking for several weeks about living life without regret. We'll wrap the series up today. I trust that God's been speaking to you and you've been helped and maybe God's identified some things in your life that He wants to do this coming year so that your life is better lived and you walk closer with Him and hopefully get to the end of your time here and have fewer regrets. That's that's really our effort. So we want to try to tie it all together. This morning, as I've said every Sunday, research tells us that the average American does have a lot of regrets, unfortunately, when they get to the end of their life. And those regrets that people 60 and older in this country tend to have fall into these three categories, financial issues, health issues, and relationship issues with the family, even the extended family. And we've talked about those for the last several Sundays and some specific things you can do to to take better care of yourself, to, to plan for your financial future. By the way, the financial workshop we talked about a couple of weeks ago will be uh, next Sunday afternoon. There's information in your program this morning about that, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. Last Sunday we talked about taking care of our body and our mind and shared with you that uh, you know I've lost 50 pounds, but one of the goals, one of the things that I felt God wanted to do in my life this year was to, to lose another 20 pounds. And i got to tell you, I've gotten off to a really good start. I've been sick this week. I lost about seven pounds. I think I need to adjust my goal from 20 pounds up to maybe 30 pounds. And uh, I was going to save some of that for 2016, but since I got such a head start, we'll see what happens. And by the way, I've heard from several of you who said you, you're going to lose, um, lose weight. And I encourage you to go to my blog. Remember, every Wednesday, this year I'm going to talk about it, give you some encouragement, some suggestions, and give you an update on how I'm doing. So check out my blog. On Wednesdays I wrote my first post about it this past, uh, this, this past week. But I want you to think about something. These, these issues, these regrets, people have financial issues, relationship issues, health issues. All of those regrets tend to be what we refer to as horizontal issues. They, they deal with other people or ourselves. So our relationship with others or our relationship with ourselves, how we deal with others, how we take care of ourselves or don't take care of ourselves. Today, I want to change direction and think about the vertical relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, secular research doesn't say a whole lot about that, a little bit, but not a lot. But I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've heard a lot of Christians talk about their spiritual regrets, the things they regret in their walk with Jesus Christ. So I'm talking to believers right now. So for the next, uh, you know, however long I preach, I'm talking to those of you who you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now you have a relationship with Him. And a lot of times people who go to church all the time, they're saved, they, they know Jesus get to the end of their life, they look back and they have regrets that go beyond just financial issues or family issues. They regret things about their Christian life, about their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want to talk about those and to help you begin identifying what you might regret in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to use your imagination. Let's just imagine that later today you die and the next thing you're conscious of is you're face to face with Almighty God, with, with Holy God. About a year ago I had some friends from my home church in Kentucky worship with us one Sunday. A few months later uh, one of those, one of those men. He's, he, he was in his 60s, deacon in my home church, going to worship that morning, and then that afternoon, home with his family, and dropped dead suddenly of an unexpected heart attack. It had no, no issues. 
My brother-in-law, Keith, I remember a few years ago going home to Kentucky to preach his dad's funeral. His dad, Eddie, had gotten saved as an adult. I remember when Eddie was saved and baptized. Eddie became a deacon in the church, a leader in the church, loved the Lord, was a witness for the Lord. Going to church that morning, that afternoon after lunch, he and his wife went up to the family cemetery just to put some flowers on the grave. And here he is, Eddie's in his 60s, and standing there at his parents' grave. Eddie fell dead of a heart attack. It happens. The truth is that today you are closer to being face-to-face with God than you were yesterday. Every day moves you closer to the time you will see God. So imagine you're standing before the Almighty. You're standing face-to-face. You you die this afternoon, and you're face-to-face before holy God. When you see holy God, what are you going to regret about the way you've lived as a Christian? But what are you going to regret about your walk with Jesus Christ and how you lived out what it means to be a disciple? Now, listen, I know we're saved, we're loved by the Lord, and there's, there's nothing that I can do and nothing you can do that would cause God to love me or you more than He already does. God loves us immeasurably, with a, with a complete and everlasting love right now, no matter what we do. But the Bible tells us that God will evaluate our lives as Christians. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, in verse 12, he says, If any man builds on the foundation... Well, let's go back up to verse, uh, verse uh, 11. No other foundation can... can there is no other foundation than, than the one that's laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of your walk with God, the foundation of your Christian life is the gospel. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you build on that. And what he says in verse 12 is, If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, or hay, some of us spend our lives after salvation building on the foundation of the gospel of salvation in Christ. We, we spend our lives building on that with things of substance, things of worth, things of value like gold and silver. But other, other Christians spend their life after the foundation of salvation, the foundation of the gospel, after, after Jesus. They build on the foundation in their Christian life with things that are, that are not as valuable, things like hay and stuff, things that burn up, things that aren't worth as much, that, that aren't as substantial, that don't contribute as much. But how we live and how we serve and how we make decisions. But he says in verse 13, each man's work will become evident. Whichever life you're living, whatever you're doing to build on the foundation of salvation in your life, one day it'll be obvious. God's going to reveal it. He says in verse 13, it will become evident for the day, the judgment day, because the Bible says that that you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, yes, we're saved and we're loved and we're forgiven, but we're also going to be judged. We're going to be evaluated. And what the Bible calls the the judgment seat of Christ, now that's different than the great white throne judgment at which the lost will be and will be assigned to hell. There's a separate judgment for the children of God called the judgment seat of Christ at which our Christian life is evaluated. How we build, what we build with on the foundation of salvation in Christ, that's going to be evaluated. And that's the judgment he's talking about here. He said the day, the judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ will show it. 
because it is to be revealed with fire, a symbol of judgment. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Did you build on your salvation, on the foundation of Jesus in your life? Did you build on it with gold and silver? Or did you build on it with hay and weeds? With with valuable stuff? Stuff of, of great worth? Stuff that made a significant impact in this world? Or something less? Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built which he has built on it, remains, he will receive what? A reward. If any man's work is burned up, it doesn't stand the test, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so is through fire, but he still suffers loss. So he says on that day when God at the judgment seat of Christ evaluates how we built on the foundation of salvation in our lives as Christians, those whose Evaluation is such that God says, you built on that with good stuff, receive rewards. But those whose evaluation means the stuff they built on is burned, it doesn't stand the the test. It wasn't significant. It wasn't worth much. They didn't do much. They didn't build well. He says, we'll suffer loss. Saved, yes, but suffer loss. Where did we ever get the idea that everybody in heaven is identical. The Bible teaches that heaven is not identical for everybody. Yes, pain is gone. Suffering is gone. Sin and temptation are gone. No more tears. True for all of us as the children of God. But the Bible equally teaches that in heaven there are rewards, privileges, Opportunities of service, they're not defined, but it's clearly indicated in Scripture that there are rewards. And here he says, if our work suffers, our evaluation says, we didn't build on it well, we suffer loss. We don't lose salvation, but we still suffer loss. The loss of rewards. The loss of opportunities. The loss of privileges. Rewards and loss, rewards and loss, rewards and loss based on how we build on the foundation of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so again I ask, imagine you're standing before God and you you see holy God for the very first time face to face. You you see Jesus who died on that cross and suffered immeasurable pain for your salvation. You see Him for the first time face to face. What are you going to regret about the way you live for Him? The way you served Him? The way you obeyed Him? The way you trusted Him? What are you going to regret about your relationship with Him? I want to share with you briefly some of the regrets that I hear older Christians sometimes express about their Christian life. I've heard people say something like this. I wish I had given my life to Jesus much earlier in my life. I wish I'd gotten saved when I was much younger. I hadn't wasted so many years. I've heard Christians say, you know, I wish... I had not waited so long in life to get serious about Jesus. 
I was saved. I was baptized. I went to church. But I didn't really get serious about my walk with Jesus Christ until later. And I regret that I wish I had gotten serious much earlier in life. What they're really talking about is wasted time, wasted years, wasted life. The Bible in Hebrews 3, 7 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. The Bible in Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Yesterday afternoon, I visited Martha Story in her home. For those who don't know, Martha is 101 years old. She's not doing well and probably... Any day now, she'll be with Jesus. I was standing at her bedside talking to her, and she perked up long enough to talk a little bit. And she was giving me very clear instructions on what she wanted at her funeral. And she made it clear she did not want any personal accolades. She didn't want me to brag on her, say anything good about her. All she wanted me to do, she said, was tell them the good news. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How wonderful it would be if someone would have the opportunity and give their life to Jesus. Don't, don't, no accolades, just Jesus, Jesus. And so I'm, 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 stand, I'm praying with her, okay? And at one point in my prayer, I'm thanking God for her and Charles, for her husband, who loved the Lord and has been in heaven now for several years, and, and thanking him for their, thanking God for their marriage and their, their service. And right in the middle of my prayer, and so I'm kind of, you know, just thanking Jesus for, for Martha. And right in the middle of my prayer, laying there in her bed, she gets really loud and she says, No, 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 no. You see, when you get to that place in life, You don't have time for the things that don't matter. You you, you don't have time for the things that that don't make a difference. Knowing that that in just a little while you're going to see holy God face to face brings everything into sharp relief. We spend so much of our time, so much of our life, so many of our years on the mundane. Putting off to the future the things that really matter. Only to realize later, we should have done that earlier. Because it matters. And wasting my life matters. Waiting too long to give my life to Jesus matters. Waiting too long to get serious about Jesus. It matters. Because you can't go back and do it over. Clock keeps turning. Years continue to, to, to pass. No do-over. And God doesn't want you to get to the end of your journey and have those kind of regrets. I'll sometimes hear other oh, older older Christians, people who love the Lord, say, you know, I wish I'd spent more time developing my relationship with Jesus. I wish I'd spent more time reading the Bible and praying. You know, really having a consistent time of worship and quiet time and, and just, just becoming more like Christ and getting to know Him better. 
we Americans, and, and I'm going to camp here for a few minutes, so, so hang on. We, we Americans spend so much of our time with all of our gadgets, technology, TV, and so on. But I want you to notice that, that that's, a, that's from government research for 2013. The average adult, okay, not, not kids. Kids spend more time. The average adult spends 20 hours a week watching television. It's 19.6 if you want to be exact. 20 hours a week watching te- That's the average. That means half of the adults in America spend more than 20 hours a week watching television. Now, that doesn't include the time spent on my iPhone, my iPad, my whatever, I this, I that. That's just television. Now imagine, you say, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to be intimate with Jesus Christ. Just imagine, just imagine you gave up two hours of TV a week. Now that would still leave you 18, okay? But just imagine you gave up two hours a week. And let's not worry about Sunday because you're at church. You get a gimme, okay? It's covered. But you take that two hours for Monday through Saturday, six days, you give up two hours of TV a week, that's 20 minutes a day of Bible reading that you're not doing right now. And you still have have 18 hours a week for TV. Does that sound too hard? Huh? By the way, that's going to help you a whole lot more than watching somebody shop for a new house somewhere in South America or Eastern Europe. Okay? That's going to help you a whole lot more than watching somebody whose backyard looks like a desert that a dog did his business in get a new backyard. It's going to do a lot more for your life. than seeing how somebody updated and fixed a small, ugly kitchen. Am I hitting home? Billy Graham, I don't know when, but you know, Billy Graham will be home with Jesus sometime soon. Mid-90s. About three years ago, he was interviewed, and during that interview, he talked about things he wished he had done differently. He said, I would spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I, be, so I could become more Christ-like. I would spend more time in prayer, more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth to apply its message to my life. Someone describes the blessed man, the happy man, and verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. For those of you who say, I don't, I don't know about 20 minutes, any of you have a Bible app on your phone, on your Android or iPhone or whatever? You've got a Bible app? Most of those have a verse of the day, right? All right? Mine has a verse of the day. So something I started, now, this is not my only devotion. This is just something simple I do in the place men go to read. I click on that verse of the day and read it, and pray over it. And this morning at 5 o'clock, I was reading from Hebrews about 
God providing for me and not allowing love of money to get in the way of my trust in Jesus. And so this morning I prayed at 5 o'clock. took about three minutes to read that verse and pray. Praying Scripture, praying Scripture. God, thank you for providing for me. I know you don't always give me everything I'd like to have or think I should have or other people think I might should have. But God, you always take care of me. And I thank you for that. And God, forgive me for when I don't trust you enough and help me not help me not to, to, to let money and stuff get in the way of my being able to obey you today. Now that's a prayer I probably wouldn't have started my day with because I read that Bible verse for the day. Praying Scripture means you respond to what God is saying in Scripture. And so I had a conversation with God, not about what I wanted to talk about, but what God wanted to talk about. And if you want to know how do you grow as a disciple, stop talking to God only about the things you want to talk about. Listen. Listen to God. Let God talk to you through Scripture and then answer Him because He's your daddy talking to you. And brothers and sisters, when your parent speaks as a kid, you listen and you respond, right? Well, why don't we do God the same way? When your Heavenly Father speaks, answer Him. Don't just run up to God all the time talking about all the stuff you want to talk about. Listen to him and then talk to him about what he says, what he wants to talk about. Because your Heavenly Father knows you so well and loves you so much, he knows what you need to hear to keep your heart right, to keep your life pure, to keep you growing, to keep you in his will. And God will take his word and he'll speak it into your life. And if you pray and talk to him about it, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you'll become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. You want a simple way? Spend some time with Jesus, just get you... Bible out and do the Bible verse of the day and then pray about it every day and see what God does in your life. Are you doing the 40-day prayer challenge using the draw the circle book? Wave at me. You doing it? How's it going? Give me something. How's it going? Have you had an old me moment? Yeah. I t- what did I tell you? I love it because it kicks you you know where and makes you feel good about it. I love that. I love that. Stay with If, if, if you got the book and you haven't started, don't don't feel guilty and say, well, I haven't started. I'm two weeks behind, so no point in trying. Just start today. Start tomorrow. You don't have to be on the same schedule the rest of us. Just start. Don't worry about that. God loves you. Just start. Have an encounter with God. Later this month on Sunday evening, February 22, we're going to have another prayer event here that Sunday evening. Prayer stations, I encourage you to come. All right, got to go on. Sometimes I'll hear Christians, older Christians, say, you know, I wish I'd I wish I had made church and worship a higher priority in my life. There are so many things that compete for our attention and time today, especially on Sundays. You ever noticed across the road over here at Manchester Meadows, the soccer complex, many Sundays, how, how many people are over there on Sunday morning? Sports is a big deal. I like sports. Y'all know that. We've got so so many families today struggle with you know with with traveling teams and so on, and they end up missing church 15, 20, 25 Sundays a year because of it. We're an affluent culture. We don't like to think of ourselves as being rich, but we're affluent, and most of us find it pretty easy to 
have a weekend at the beach, weekends at the mountain. Nothing wrong with that. I I enjoy that. But 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 we do that so much. What 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 happens is in our affluent culture today, we end up missing church a whole lot more than we ever thought we would because we're we're doing those things. It's one of the reasons I encourage you when you're on vacation go to church. Because when you start missing worship, you start missing gathering with God's people that often, it begins to have a negative effect on your spiritual life. It's kind of subtle, sneaks up. You don't realize it until it's already done it. You get out of the habit, and we're creatures of habit. Hebrews 10 24 says, consider how to stimulate, encourage one another to love and good deeds. That one of the things we're supposed to do is, is motivate each other in our Christian life. And one of the ways he says we do that in verse 25 is by, for, by not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Uh, let me ask you, when you show up for your Sunday school class and the room is half empty, how do you feel? Wow! Great to be here today. You, you, you show up for worship. Room's half empty. Half the praise band didn't show up. How do you feel? Boy, we're going to worship. No, no, it discourages you, right? Physical presence encourages people. Physical absence discourages people. And God says one of the ways you stimulate one another to love and good deeds is show up. So when you're on vacation, show up at another church. When you're in Rocky, you'll show up at your church. Show up here. Show up. It matters on so many levels. In that same interview, Billy Graham said, I would give more attention to fellowship with other Christians who could teach me and encourage me and even rebuke me when necessary. Richard, Richard Jeffress is pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Several years ago when he was at a different church, a little six-year-old boy was playing in the front yard of his family home when he ran into the street to retrieve a soccer ball, was hit and killed by a car. Parents were Christians, members of his church. Dad was a, a salesman for a growing company, traveled a lot. Mondays he'd fly out, Fridays he'd fly home. Very little family time, and he felt badly about it. But he was making good money, and he decided the strategy for having more family time was they bought a lake house. And it became their weekend family retreat. It was family time together on the weekend at the lake house. That little boy had recently become a a Christian, accepted Jesus, and was all excited, loved going to church, and and loved singing Christian songs, and, and loved learning about the Bible and Bible stories. would beg his father to take him to church on Sundays, but his dad would say, no, son, weekends, that's, that's our family time. It's the only time we have together. In the back of his mind, the dad was thinking, I'm going to always be this busy with work. Later, when things slow down, it'll be different. We'll have time for church. And he told the pastor, this is a direct quote, he said, I wonder if I'll be haunted forever by the memories of my son pleading with me to take him to church. It matters. And it makes a difference. I sometimes hear older Christians say, 
You know, I, I really wish I had done more in my life for Christ, for the kingdom. I wish I, I had done more to, to, to impact the kingdom of God, to, to, to do things that would make an eternal impact, an eternal difference. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What are you doing to make a difference in the kingdom of God? What, What are you doing with your time, with your money, with your skills, your talents that has an eternal impact? I mentioned already that the average American adult spends 20 hours a week watching television. And I've already asked you to give up two hours a week so that you can spend 20 minutes a day, Monday through Saturday, reading Scripture. Sunday's a gimme. You're here. Is 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 it asking too much if I ask you to give up one more hour of TV a week? Now, you, you still have 17, okay? You still get 17. I, I'm just asking for one more, just, just one more, okay? You still have 17. So two hours for 20 minutes a day for Bible reading. One hour a week. Now, Sunday morning doesn't count. You're here, okay? That's not it because you're not watching TV when you're here anyway. I don't know. Well, some of you might be on your phone. I don't know. But I'm assuming... You're good Christian folk and there's no TV watching going on right now. So you still have 17 hours. Two hours to read Bible. Can you find one hour a week? One hour. Just one hour to serve Jesus. To serve His kingdom. To serve through the church. You still get 17 for TV. Okay? Still have 17 for listed or what is that? Love it or list it. Still ha- you still have time for that. I still have time for my UK basketball games. Okay? But two hours, Bible reading. One hour to serve the kingdom of God, to serve Jesus Christ, to serve the church. Still have seven. Can you you do that? So it's not rocket science. It's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. Now, I, I want to sound a warning. I need to sound a warning. And brothers and sisters, it's this. And the teenagers over here already know this is in the red. It's going to get a lot more in the red. Talking about my countdown clock. Sin is deceptive. Sin will lie to you. Sin wants to get its claws into you, dig them deeper, and pull you down further. It wants to get hold of you and never let go of you. It wants you to develop some habits that take you the wrong direction that you never change from. Guilt is one of its weapons. 
Some of you beat yourself up. You've made mistakes. You've sinned. You've, you've tried and failed. And you've convinced yourself. You feel so bad, so worthless, so low, so guilty. You say it can never be different. I can't change. It'll all, I've tried. It'll always be like this. And that's how sin wants you to think. Jason, Jason Perry grew up in church. He was a church kid. His dad was a pastor. He was a talented musician, played instruments, sang, would sing in the choir, lead worship. But inside, he was a typical teenager that wanted to be like everybody else, wanted to fit in. He was tired of being the oddball. It wasn't fun. So many of his friends were sexually active. Fellow teammates talked about it in the locker room and made it sound glamorous. And he started playing a dangerous game. Wanted to see how far he could go without going too far until one Friday night he didn't stop. And that Saturday morning that good church kid was in his car driving down a country highway with the radio blasting, driving a little too fast, angry at himself, angry at his friends, angry at the culture that lied to him. Because sitting in that car, he felt empty, he felt pain, he felt regret, he felt sad, he felt stupid, he felt dirty, he felt cheap, his own words. And he was soon to learn that in life, one regret, if not brought to Christ, leads to greater regrets. And he felt so badly, he told himself, I've already messed up big time, so I guess it doesn't matter what I do from now on. I might as well enjoy my rebellion as long as I'm here. And instead of turning from his sin, he embraced it with full-on rebellion. And for months, his heart grew harder and, and his thoughts told him he was worthless. He said, I've already opened the door. There's no going back. I can never be pure again. That's how sin wants you to think that, that it's over. No hope, no future, no, nothing can ever be different. Just give up. So he started drinking one night. He was at a party with all of his buddies and drank so much he passed out. Next morning didn't remember anything, but they told him he was the life of the party. And for the first time he felt like he finally fit in. And he developed the habit of Friday night and Saturday night at parties and Sunday morning dragging himself to church. Some of you have done that this weekend. You were places doing things you shouldn't have done, but you drugged yourself here this morning. I'm glad you're here. But there's more to life than just dragging yourself here. He got home one Saturday night after, after partying and he quietly tiptoed into the bathroom and he was looking in the mirror and he didn't like what he saw and he said to him, Jason, what are you doing? And next Sunday morning, that Sunday morning, he got on his face before God and repented of his sin and allowed God to begin the process of healing him and restoring him and making him into someone new. Sometimes it takes a while for God's forgiveness to be accepted by you so that you feel forgiven. Sometimes it takes a while 
for the emotional scars to be fully healed. But God wants you to know that, that if you bring whatever it is, whether it's a financial failure, a relationship failure, a sexual failure, a physical failure, a spiritual failure, God wants you to know that if you bring it to Jesus, what He says in Romans 8, 1 is true of you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you've got to bring it to Jesus before there's no condemnation. If you bring it to Christ, He wants you to know that what is said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true of you. If anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things have passed away and new things have come. That's what God wants to do in your life. But for that to happen, you've got to bring it to Jesus. There's nothing new until you bring it to Him. We've been saying for the last month, it's not about you and me making New Year's resolutions that we're going to do better. That won't work. It's about God speaking to our hearts and saying, these are the things in your life that I want to do. These are the things I want to fix. I want to heal. I want to improve. These are the things I want to accomplish in and through you. And then bringing that to Him and pray, 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 Pray until God does it. Get on our face before God and don't ever walk away. Let Him do it because I can't and you can't, but He can. When you bring it to Christ, whatever your pain, whatever your guilt, whatever your failure, whatever it is that God's trying to say to you, He wants you to know that 1 John 1, 9 is true if we confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just wash it away. But there's no cleansing until you bring it to Jesus. When you bring it to Jesus, He wants you to know that 1 John 1, 7 is true. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses all of us, all our sins. There's no sin in your life, no failure in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot wash it away. But until you bring it to Him, it's not washed away. Until you bring it to Him, there's no cleansing. As long as you keep trying to do it yourself, trying to do better, the guilt wins. The sin wins. The enemy wins. The doubt wins. But God says, bring it to me. Get on your face before me. Pray before me. Repent before me. Turn from your sin before me and I will cleanse you. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will help you. But you have to bring it to me. Jason's life was turned around. He leads worshiping churches today. Late 90s and early 2000s, he was the lead singer of a, for about a five-year period, a popular Christian singing group called Plus One. But he had to bring it to Jesus. And so do you. On the back of your outline, it's just a summary of the things we've talked about for the last several weeks. You don't need to shoot a paper, but what's God been saying to you? What does God want to do in your life? I'm going to ask you to come to this altar, bring it to Jesus, not leave here thinking about it. A few weeks ago, God said something to you about your financial life. Last Sunday, God said something to some of you about your physical life, your mental life. 
God said something to you one Sunday about your relationships with your family and people at church. God is saying something to you this morning about your Christian life, your morality and your ethics, about the way you're living, about your spiritual growth, your Bible reading, your witnessing, your church attendance. God's saying something to you. And I'm asking you to bring it to bring yourself, bring yourself, bring yourself to Jesus. Get on your knees here at this altar and say, God, here is me, and here is that thing that you're talking to me about. I give me to you. God, I give it to you. I need you, God, to fix this. I need you, God, to change it. I need you, God, to do that in me. During the first service, I don't know who it was, there's no name. Someone, they people down here praying, somebody left this piece of paper. It's from today's bulletin and I don't know if it's a college or high school but freshman year talking about drinking smoking inappropriate being inappropriate with a with a boy so this is a young girl and other things she listed here and disobedience but then what I really liked was in big print along the boundaries she wrote you have won it is done I am yours. And she laid it on the altar. And I'm asking you, like that verse we looked at our very first Sunday when Paul said, as he looked back as an old man over his life, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I finished the course. I kept the faith. I didn't quit. And there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not for me only, but all who love His appearing. God wants you to have a crown of righteousness. He wants you to have the rewards of a life well lived, building on the foundation of salvation where things of worth, things that matter, things that make a difference. Bring yourself And lay your life on the altar. Bring those things God's talking to you about. Lay them on the altar. Let 2015 be the year that God changes you. That He frees you, heals you. That He does that work in your life. What is that thing? What is it that God wants to do? Bring it to the altar. Don't just think about it. Don't just walk out and stay the same. Bring it to Christ because that's when it will change. Let's stand for prayer. Father, help us to have the boldness, the humility, the hunger and desire, the love, the sense of need and the sense of want to bring ourselves to You and bring all that is a part of us to You, to bring those things You're talking to us about to You. God, help us not stay where we are, not stay the way we are, but help us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this song, you're invited to come and get on your knees here to pour your life out to God. Bring yourself to Him. Bring whatever it is in your life to Him. Let Him forgive you. Let Him help you with that struggle. If you need to join the church or talk with a pastor, guys are here to help you. So let's sing together. You come. Just start walking. Come on. Right now. Let's go.